0: How has the first term of my PhD been? Well, today in the show, it's just me sharing insights, reflections, and project ideas from this past semester of my doctoral degree. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are teaching tomorrow. Hi, folks. I'm recording this on the 17th of January under a mountain of snow. That is no hyperbole. There is literally mountains of snow outside of my house. I've been out shoveling three times. School and daycare are closed. And in the midst of this special brand of chaos, I snuck away to record an update on my learning. Of course I did. In this conversation with myself, I talk about my challenges with asking for help, some of the beautiful surprises from this past term, and my current thinking about my project. So let's go. As I'm recording this, this is uh, just the start of my second semester in this PhD program. And some things that I wanted to share with you in this update I love the idea of keeping you part of this journey and giving you a small little window into the madness that is doing a PhD during a pandemic. So I I gave myself a little listen over to the last time that I did an update. I don't often go back and re-listen to my episodes, but I listened to the one that I put out just after one week of doing the PhD, which is episode 60, and I put that out just in September. And man, a lot has changed since then. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what's hard, um, specifically around asking for help. Surprise, surprise. That is a challenging theme in my life sometimes. I'll tell you more about that. Um, And also about the community that is developing, which is not something hard, which is something quite beautiful. And then I'm going to give you a little peek into what I'm thinking about for a project right now. So let's get started. Um. One of the biggest things that I'm struggling with is just asking for any kind of help. I know you're not my therapist, but let's unpack this for a little bit. I think as a teacher, I have been rewarded for being able to get things done with with an independent mindset of oh this technology isn't working it's quicker and easier for me to google how to solve it rather than waiting for tech support to come to me oh this um situation with my students is a challenge i'm going to experiment and try some things out this gets me into a lot of trouble sometimes because there's so many great perspectives that i'm missing out on and you really cannot do a phd alone this is a kind of learning that really relies on a community on friends on mentors on supports around you which you know I've never done a PhD before and doing one at home online is the only way that I've ever experienced this but everybody that I know that is further ahead in the journey than I am says like this is really not an ideal way to do this asking for help feels so deeply uncomfortable it makes me feel like somebody is going to find out how little I know about something. And I know that sounds ridiculous to say it out loud, but I think that it can be chalked up really to imposter syndrome and it can be chalked up to worrying that somebody is going to judge me. And I've only ever experienced the exact opposite. So for example, I was applying for a scholarship um, the past couple of weeks, and a friend of mine who happens to, um, you know, read people's writing for one of her roles in the university offered to give my writing a readover. And it was really kind and so generous of her to offer this. And my initial reaction was just total fear of like, oh, I don't want her to think that I'm not smart or I don't want her to know how little I really know about research at this stage and I got over that because it wasn't a logical part of my brain that was having that fear and I sent the writing to her and she was amazing and she was so gracious and she gave me a lot of positive reinforcement and her feedback really helped me make the draft better and I didn't feel shamed and I didn't feel silly and I didn't feel stupid and it just was a great reminder that I have to own what I don't know you know in some of the conversations that I've had not just in this editing conversation but in some of the conversations that I've had so far it's okay to be a beginner and it's okay to say I've never experienced this methodology before what is it all about you know I had a questions about how I wanted to do my research project when I was writing it down in scholarship application form. And it's kind of a ridiculous thing as a first-year student to say, here's the project that I want to do. I talked about this back in episode 60 around applying for Shirk funding. I don't know what I want to do, and I don't know enough about research methodologies to really say how I want to do this thing. So I wanted to you know, just talk about my project and have somebody, you know, diagnose the the situation and say, these are the things that I think, these are the methodologies that I think would be appropriate for that. And I just asked this person, I'm like, hey, could you just be this external mind for me, somebody who knows more about methodology? And it was an amazing conversation. Just by acknowledging what I don't know and asking for help really is allowing me to learn faster. That's the thing. When I was in the classroom and I was in a way rewarded for being independent I think that I was being rewarded for being independent but really I was just getting something done in a less efficient way had I actually tapped into the resources around me I probably would have learned something faster and I actually think that what I would have learned would have been better because it would have been based on somebody's lived experience rather than me just experimenting throwing spaghetti against the wall or googling something and letting the internet decide for me what to do so asking for help is a skill that I really feel like I am slowly getting better at and acknowledging the limitations of my experience right now. It just comes back to, you know, what Brene Brown says about FFTs, fucking first times and giving myself permission to not know. And just thinking about how how much better this experience will be for me if I can lean into and learn from those people around me that really do know and that's the second point that i wanted to update you know like when i talked the first time i really was just doing this for one week but after a full term the thing that surprises me the most is that even though this is online even though i'm not actually having you know in-person friendships flourish i still feel a sense of community around this school thing, which is quite remarkable. There's two classes that are, you know, a half credit. And even in those classes, I feel like I've gotten to know people, I've had some connections form. And then like, when we get to know each other out of the class and into social media, then like, it's like, oh, you see a different layer of someone not just as a student, but as someone who is a human or a parent or, you know, the dog person. And Then there's been these little pockets of communities that I've been plunked into, like the Toronto Writing Project is one of them, and the research group that I'm part of is one of them, and the Institute for Child Study is another one. And within these little Zoom windows that we're part of, I'm feeling wonderfully connected to these human beings. And I'm so interested, and I hope somebody is researching this, Um, and I brought this up in one of my classes, that... Uh, For the first time now, people really only know each other in the space of an online world, and I wonder what it'll be like when we actually get to be in person with each other and extend that community to each other's backyards, or walking in the park, or when the OISE building opens up again and we could take a class together. Are we going to feel super weird and super awkward? Or are we going to feel ridiculously connected to each other because we have gotten to know each other on this completely different level? And or maybe a third option where you know, it's a combination of both of those really awkward, really awkwardly intimate, which I think is my jam. I feel like that's where I where I thrive awkwardly intimate. Uh, so wonderful surprise is actually feeling connected to other people despite doing this largely on my own in my house at my dining room table. Um, another weird hard thing is the adjustment to a different financial situation. I had all these stories about what it would feel like to not have as much money as a student this year. And very little of them are actually true. I think that I thought that I would feel really restricted and deprived of things. Um, And thankfully, because of COVID, there's not a whole lot of stuff happening. So our family isn't spending a ton of money. And I realized that I was making so much more money when I was a classroom teacher, but I was not as happy. And I was so stressed out. So this has been a kind of aha moment where I realized I would rather have the kind of a profession that I'm making less money, but I feel like I can be more present to my children or that I'm making less money and I feel like I have more space to be creative. That for me has been a huge aha. I, you know, I I think that by coming from a lower SES background and by getting, moved into a middle-class background by virtue of marriage and education and becoming a teacher, I think that I've been really holding on tightly to the idea of having a certain income as like a sign of my worth as a human. And that is completely untrue. And it's been a really fascinating process to look at that. And, you know, having conversations with my wife around, well, what is enough money? Like what, what would be the number where we feel like it is enough. We are comfortable. We're able to give and to donate to other people. We're able to save. We're able to have some luxuries. Um, We don't have an answer for what that number is, but it is an important conversation that I don't think that I would have had had we not gotten into this place where we have less money, but I'm better. I'm so much better. And this this is a huge part of it is that at this time, one of the biggest struggles I have is that I feel like there's so many experiences that I can't give my children, especially my five year old. I feel like there's a lot of things that I'm like, oh, we can't we can't take you to the science center because of covid or ah, oh, soccer class is canceled again because of covid. And. That's all my story. I know that's not reality because he's having a wonderful grand old time of making all the forts with the couches and just like this rich imaginative world is unfolding for him and he's great. He's fine. He's happy. The one thing that I can give them during this weird time is me, is my time. And I know that it's compromised because sometimes my time is like me stressed out at home trying to get work done while they're home from school because of symptoms or COVID or schools being closed. But that time and that connection to have more of me than they would have if I was in a really high-stress, full-on job, I think that this is a better option for our family. That we have one person, my wife, who is working full-time and that I have a much more flexible situation. I mean, the the families that I'm connected to that are actually keeping their nostrils above water, I couldn't even say that our heads are above water, but the families that I know who have a little bit of breathing room are the families who have one parent who has a slightly more flexible job situation. So I am gratefully leaning into that. And I think that it's waking me up to the fact that at this time in my family's life, I will choose flexibility and a little bit more wiggle room over benefits and salary. And that's kind of cool. Okay, so the next uh, stage of this journey, I am now uh, taking more courses. <laughs> so things are getting weirder in the winter. I've heard this before in a meme that it feels like right now at this stage in the pandemic that it's like that stage in the video game where everything gets really fast and the music gets really fast and like everything's on fire as well. So some interesting things may be happening in the next couple of months. I'm taking more classes. So the way that the class situation works, I have to take seven courses over the year, and I took two and a half in the fall term. I'm taking three and a half in the winter term, and then I'll probably take one or two in the summer. Uh, so I'm taking a little bit more coursework, and you know, different projects are starting to ramp up. And it's clear that my children are going to be home way more because of school closures and COVID symptoms, like having a child in daycare who's unvaccinated, who cannot wear a mask. I'm just assuming that we're going to get COVID now. And isn't that just the weirdest thing? I mean, this is an aside, but isn't that just the weirdest part about this stage of the pandemic that now we're just like, okay, I guess this is what happens now. And we've done everything we can to make sure that you know, when those wheels hit the ground, that we're going to be as okay as possible. Like my wife and I are both boosted. My son just got his second vaccination a couple of weeks ago. And ultimately, I know that like the chances are good that we're going to pull through this and that the risks of being in society right now outweigh the risks of what's going to happen. Like I have to say that to myself in my head. But to know that like, Probably our house is going to get sick in the next couple of months. Um, on top of more classwork, on top of a little bit more like research work happening in the background, that it's going to be an intense winter. I feel that in my bones and I can already feel that just a couple of weeks into January. Like as I record this on January 17th, we have had the most insane snowfall in Toronto. Like snow up to my armpits like I can't even describe to you what it feels like to get this much snow uh and it's just like oh yeah here we go this is this is a very special chapter of life we've got snow day we've got COVID coming we've got more class things happening so the the volume is louder and everything is faster and it feels like everything is on fire at the same time as being buried under snow so an interesting mix of things but I am also really excited about my project. So even though I feel like it's busier, I feel like I'm I'm seeing some shifts happen in my thinking around where my research project is going to go. Um, and for those of you who you know are curious about doing a PhD one day, the best way that I can describe what I'm experiencing so far is that it feels kind of like I'm running my own small business. You know, I've never run a small business before, so I don't know if that's an accurate comparison, but it feels like I am independently running this learning journey. Um, You know, doing a PhD is really not about being a genius or being brilliant or being super gifted. I think that it's so much more about being disciplined, about being focused, about having an innate curiosity that you really want to pursue and about having, oh God, it's about having a growth mindset as well as having a humility to get help and get support and to tap into the networks of people around you so my project right now is i'm One of my experiences, sorry, I'm cutting myself off. One of my experiences this term was that I got to mentor teacher candidates and the mentoring was virtual, of course. They had filmed a segment of their class that they were uh, doing as a teacher candidate and then they would upload a little clip of that to our portal and then I would get to watch that little clip and then meet with them over Zoom and, you know, talk about their reflections around their teaching practice and I would share some observations and then we would talk about it. And it was so great. I mean, maybe it was because I was slightly socially deprived and I hadn't really like been inside of a classroom in that way for months. But I realized that that experience was really giving me life and was really giving me energy. So I started to feel more drawn to the idea of how teachers learn to become better teachers and how teachers develop their craft And if you've been paying attention to me, one of my passions, the thing that I'm most excited about is writing, is writing in classrooms. I love reading as well. I love Reader's Workshop, but there is something that just gives me such a sparkle thinking about developing writers, students developing as writers, but also how teachers get better as teachers of writing. That's something that I'm really excited about figuring out. You know, the research that I've been reading is really pointing to the fact that teachers are not feeling great about how they are teaching writing and that they don't feel like they've got enough training as teacher candidates and that they're also feeling like they don't have enough resources or supports So I'm asking all these kinds of questions and thinking about the landscape of the world that we're in. And these are sort of swirling around for me right now about what I might, how I might mix these together for a project. In my episode a couple of weeks ago, I put out about journalistic writing and how that's a socially situated genre of writing and how it can tap into students' interests. And in this world right now, this chaotic world where so much is happening, Teaching students the genre of journalistic writing can actually help them make sense of the world from multiple perspectives and develop their ability to see things from a nuanced way. And so I'm wondering about all this, like how could we piece all these things together? And there's a there's an interesting model that I'm drawn to, which is reverse mentorship. So that's basically getting somebody who is younger and less experienced on the job, but has uh, a deep wealth of knowledge about a specific subject, and pairing them with somebody who is more senior on the job and has more uh, lived experience, uh, but maybe doesn't know this this thing or this technology or this tool the way that uh, the mentee or the mentor has. So reverse mentorship is often used in technology and in business. But I've been reading about how some teachers are starting to experiment with reverse mentorship. And I I'm like really intrigued by the idea of a veteran teacher who really, you know, knows the classroom, knows this community of teaching and what would happen if they were paired with a recent journalism school graduate and what kind of a cool project could be created by pairing somebody who has deep genre knowledge on-the-ground writing experience professional in the world you know a new professional in the world but still like really gets that thing that they're into journalism and pairing them with a classroom teacher who's been teaching for 10 plus years and using that those two very important spheres of intelligence to create something for their students because you know I, i think that we need different models of professional learning For anyone listening who's been part of Cohort 21, you know how powerful it is to have a different kind of professional learning. For me, when I did Cohort 21 for the first time, it was the first experience where I was actually going through an inquiry model of learning as an adult. And it was totally transformative for me because I realized, oh, this is what it feels like to do inquiry The learning that happened in that experience was unlike anything that I've ever experienced. Because it was different, because it was innovative, because it was actually modeling the thing that we want our students to do. So what if teachers learning how to write is situated in relationship? What if it's not about a big conference, but about these micro sessions between two people and about mentorship and about collaboration and something that is deeply social and not you know even just to like make money off of or something that's about a program or a um, one-size-fits-all approach but actually is more about two people looking at a group of students together and making something powerful between the students the journalist and the teacher So that's my thinking right now. And I don't know where that's going to go. And that's the great thing about doing a PhD. I've heard it called slow learning, which is perfect and deeply frustrating. But the idea of slow learning is that, you know, as I read more, and as I take more classes, it's going to evolve and grow and shift and new information will come in and I'll have to reconsider like, oh, but if this is true, then this other thing will be true too. So I like, I like the idea of documenting it kind of in this diary podcast format as a way to chronicle, okay, today on January 17th, this is what I'm gravitating towards. But yeah, I'm, I'm clearly not writing my research proposal right now. So that is where I am at this moment in time. I am feeling nervous for the weeks ahead. I'm feeling a little bit more hope, which feels a little bit you know bold to even be saying that i'm feeling a little bit more hope but i do feel hope about what the spring might bring and how the summer may feel and i'm feeling deeply grateful for having the opportunity right now to get to learn and to get to use this one wild and precious life to create a project that i find fulfilling and meaningful and hopefully useful to other people so that's all the time we have for now, folks. Keep asking your big questions. And remember, we are teaching tomorrow.